This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. I'm going to jump in and bring our series of generosity to a conclusion today. I'm going to talk about generosity. It's part four. For those of you who haven't been here um, for the previous ones, we have talked about the heart of generosity and how God wants us to have our hearts free toward him. One of the core values of Impact Church is giving generously. And we say this because we believe in a God who gives generously toward us. We believe in a God who wants to take care of our needs. We believe in a God who has showed his generosity toward us by giving his own son, by giving everything for us so that we can have life in him. And so um, before I get going uh, this morning, I actually, we, we kind of wanted to go out and eat after church today, but I forgot all my money. Uh, is there anyone that has some money? Seriously? That I could borrow? Awesome, Ryan. Seriously? Okay. He's such a good guy. He's an awesome... <laughs> <laughs> Who carries $100 bills? I want to be your friend. <laughs> Cha-ching, I got the right person. <laughs> that is awesome. Like, can I, can I keep this or is it... Like, just borrow it, or no, you can have it. I can have it? Yeah. Seriously? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Enjoy. Thank you. That is awesome. Cool. I'm gonna enjoy lunch today. Now, was that hard for you to do? Uh, no. No. No, that was fine. Yeah, I was comfortable. You were comfortable. That's awesome. I I like this guy. <laughs> I need him as my personal friend. I'm gonna start hanging out with him. Uh, why was it not hard to get Ryan? Uh, well, because you kind of gave it to me earlier this morning. <laughs> Thank you. You may be seated. It is true. It is true. It was all a scheme. I did give it to him this morning, and I said, hey, Ryan, just please just play along with me. And he's like, oh, I like, I, I, not that one. Or is it? He's like, oh, I, I like, I'm like, can you keep something for me? He's like, oh, yes, I can. How long? Um, <laughs> no, just kidding. Thank you for playing along. Um, today, I am going to talk about something that many people shy away from. It's called tithing. And some people automatically get nervous about it, but I wanted to just uh, do this little illustration this morning because I want to show you something that is very fundamental when it comes to the biblical principle of tithing. If we truly understand tithing according to God's word, we understand that tithing is actually only returning. It's not even so much about giving as it is returning to God what already belongs to God. Why is it that Ryan had such an easy time to jump up and just throw over a hundred dollar bill? I like you, by the way, Um, (laughs) because it actually belonged to me, and he knew that, so he's like, okay, I'm done. I enjoyed having it in my wallet for a moment, but now it's going back to its owner, right? And so ultimately, when God gives us whatever that is within our possession, he's really just saying, here, it's yours to keep and to do with as you please, but please return what belongs to me. And when we truly understand that that's all that tithing is, then our hearts are free because we realize that I'm not just giving up, oh, no, this is all mine, 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 and mine. Have you ever realized that you never have to teach your kids the word mine? Like, honestly, like, or is it just my kids? No, okay, okay, good. See, when you have your first child, it's all about everyone being right and everyone always, you know, justice has to be done and everything has to be correct. When you have a second child, how many people have more than one child in this room? Okay, 
You will know what I mean when I say that justice sometimes goes out the door because what you hear from another room is, mine, 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 mine. And all of a sudden, you don't care about justice. You just, you just care about quiet. <laughs> and you go in and it goes something like this. Just give it to her. Well, well it's, but it's mine. I, I don't care. Just give it to her. <laughs> right. Um, anyhow, all that to say, we are very possessive by nature when we are born into our natural self. But can I say this, that when we are reborn, we are reborn generous. And what God wants to do is he wants to develop this heart of generosity that is free from fear, that is free from selfishness, that is free from all the things that hinder us from saying, God, I trust you. God, it's yours. God, I'm only returning to you what belongs to you. And can I say this as I'm talking about tithe today? I want to say this, all of it belongs to God. It's actually all God's. He's just asking us to return 10% to him in trust toward him. Um, and by the way, if anyone else has a $100 bill that you want to give me, I'll be over here after the service. Oh, just kidding, kidding, kidding. I just know how uptight people get when we talk about this. But tithing is really more about returning than it is giving. Uh, when we first got married... Back in 2001, we uh, had my family, they came over from Sweden, there was a whole bunch of them that came over and they stayed with us for five weeks. Now, it's awesome to have family visiting, but we had a very small apartment at the time, we had no air conditioning, we had very few rooms, there was very many of us, um, and we had no vehicle. So we were kind of confined to that apartment a lot. Uh, we also lived in a really bad area of town. We had our car stolen twice, three times, twice. Um, and, you know, it was just not the greatest area of Oshawa, the dirty schwa, as it's also known as. Um, and so, no offense if you're from there. Um, but anyhow, so there was this other couple in the church, wonderful people. Their, their names are Peter and Bonnie. Uh, they came to us because they knew my family was coming. They knew we were going to be kind of stuck uh, in the house for five weeks or in the apartment. And so um, they, had, they lived outside of town. They had two minivans because they both traveled extensively. And so they came to us right before our wedding, and they said, hey, listen, guys, here's the keys to one of our vans, and we want you to have it for the five weeks. Please go travel, take your family sightseeing, do whatever you want to do. Um, it's all yours. Don't worry about the mileage on the van. Just use it as you want. It's yours for five weeks. Here are the keys. Um, how many would say that's very generous? Uh, very, very generous. So we were blessed. We were honored. We said, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Um, it was awesome. So we did. We traveled around. We were able to go out and, and see some things um, and, and do some stuff. That was my family's first time in Canada, which was awesome to be able to go around. But at the end of the five weeks, there comes that moment. You know that moment where you're like, oh, you're like, Ryan, do I really have to give this back? <laughs> uh, really? No, just kidding. He's a giving, giving guy. But, um, you know, I got those keys. We cleaned up the one. We filled it up. We, trust me, we cleaned it after all of us were in there. Um, and so, you know, I came back to, to Peter and Bonnie, and I, I said, guys, I am so excited. I have something to give you. It's a van! Here are the keys! Not. I did not do that, okay? But to prove a point, sometimes we approach God like that. And we go, God, you're not going to believe it. I have something that I am going to give to you. Something of mine that's very precious. i got to give you a dollar. Thank you, Jesus, that I'm so good. Right? 
Um, <clears throat> well, hopefully that's not how you bring your tithe. But I just want to say sometimes we misunderstand what tithing actually is. Tithing is actually just returning to God what belongs to God. And we're going to look at what the Bible says about that. And I know some people get real uncomfortable when we talk about this. And so I just want to say this morning, our goal is not to get your money. Our goal in this whole series is not so that we can get more money for us. Our goal with this series is to show you that we have a generous God who gave it all for us and he desires for our hearts to be free in trust and faith in him so that we can be free from the pain, free from the fear, free from all those things that so easily hold on to our hearts. And so our goal with this series is to simply say, listen, when it comes to the tithe, it's only returning what already belonged to God. So when I came back to Peter and Bonnie, I came back and I said, thank you very much for letting us use your car. Thank you for entrusting us with your van for the five weeks. Here it is. It's cleaned up and it's filled up. And thank you very much. I can never repay your kindness toward us. Thank you. And so I think in many ways, we have to understand that what God is looking for is for us to say, God, thank you for taking care of me. Thank you for giving me a job. Thank you for putting people around me that care about me, that are, are there for me. And God, I just want to honor you today. That's why I get excited about our giving times. I know it's weird. You know, it's, it's one of those sermons where you're like, I'm going to talk about tithing. And people are like, <clears throat> yeah. Um, uh, you're like, oh, it's going to be good today, right? So, you know, when we say today is tithing message, woohoo! And everyone's like, I, I, I think I need to go home and check the roast. Um, But if we truly understand that this is a biblical concept, God put it into motion for our sake, not for his sake. Can I free you up this morning? God doesn't need your money. I know, what? God doesn't need your money. He is a very wealthy guy. He has a lot of resources, like the whole universe. And so he actually doesn't need your money. Can I free you up one moment this morning and say, Impact Church does not need your money but we're asking for your heart. Because if your heart of generosity connects with what God is doing in the city of Kingston, then guess what? Your tithe and your offerings and your giving will simply just be the overflow of what's in your heart. So we're never going to beg for your money. And as evidenced, we saw a couple of weeks ago, I will say this, from the inception of Impact Church, from the very moment it began, we have seen on display the heart of generosity And so we love our church. We're proud of our church. We brag on our church. I know you shouldn't brag, but we do kind of occasionally uh, when we talk to other people because we're like, we have like the best church ever. No offense to all the other pastors out there, but we have a really, really awesome church because we have people that are generous in heart. We have people that give of their time, of their talent, of their treasure. We have people that have got a hold of this generous spirit, that God is a generous God, so I just get to give back to him of my time. I get to give to him of my abilities, of my talent, and I get to give. I get to give. I don't have to give. I get to give to him of my treasure out of the overflow and the abundance of my heart because I love him. I love what he's doing. That's what this is about. And again, we've seen this heart of generosity at display so many times throughout the years, and again on Mother's Day this year. And we just want to say, on behalf of the pastoral team and the stewardship team, one more time, we want to say thank you for your awesome awesome generosity for those of you who have not been around and didn't hear we were able to bless colleen morgan our impact kids director with an almost brand new car we raised over twenty-two thousand dollars in two weeks and we're able to on mother's day she had no clue actually present her with a car outside it was an 
awesome Mother's Day. Like, awesome. Uh, so thank you for your heart of generosity. But today we're going to wrap up this series by talking about tithing. And I just want to share this little story. Um, there was two men that were on um, a deserted island. They got trapped there. And the one guy is just freaking out. He's pacing back and forth. He's all worried. He's like completely at the end of himself. And he doesn't know what to do because they're trapped on this island. And then the other guy is just sitting back. He made himself like a little chair out of the sand. And he's sipping on his lemonade that he squeezed freshly from the wonderful fruit trees that were there. And he's just like cool, calm, and collected. So the first guy says to the second guy, aren't you afraid? Like, aren't you worried at all? Like, we could die. And the second guy turns to him and goes, I am not worried at all. I make $100,000 a, $100, a week and I tithe faithfully to my church. My pastor will come and find me. <laughs> that was just to get you to relax. I, I know this. As soon as you say this word, everyone's like, hey, she's talking about tithing. So, joking. It's all good. You can relax. We're going to survive this morning. So the Bible actually talks about three levels of giving. It talks about tithing. It talks about offerings. And then it also talks about something called extravagant offerings. Those offerings that go way above and beyond. I would say Mother's Day this year, that was an extravagant offering. The Bible talks about those. They're awesome. They're fun. Some people call them painful offerings. Uh, it all depends on how you view those types of offerings. They can, uh, they can feel a little painful, but they can um, absolutely be so much fun. Um, and if I can say this, why we like to bring a message on this is because many believers actually find it a lot easier to give offerings and sometimes even extravagant offerings. They find that much easier than actually coming into obedience on this simple principle called tithing. Studies actually show that of evangelical Christians, only about 5 to 10% actually tied to a local church. That would mean, for those of you who can do the math, that 90 to 95% do not. 90 to 95% of evangelical believers never touch the first level of giving. Can you imagine if the church as a whole got a, got a hold of this principle called tithing? If we all got a hold of the fact that if we only, all of us, not a few, but all of us gave 10% as a portion back to God, invested it into our churches. Can you imagine in the city of Kingston alone, if every evangelical Christian gave 10% of their income to their local church? Can you imagine what the churches in Kingston could accomplish? Can you imagine what the church at large could do? There would not be a need for raising fundraisers to send a missionary somewhere. There would not be a need for a fundraiser to do an outreach project at Rideau Heights Public School. We could keep doing that. I, I want to go back and I want to do more at the school, right? And we have the resources as far as people go, people that are committed, that generous with their time and with their skill. But can you imagine if we got a hold as a church at large of this problem? Now, most people don't tithe because they feel like they can't afford to tithe. But can I flip that around and tell you my story? I cannot afford not to tithe. I'm just going to be honest with you. You can relax. It's all good. You're like, oh, she's talking about it. Oh, it's okay. But I cannot afford not to tithe. From the very beginning of my Christian walk, 
I have understood that this principle is non-negotiable for me. I tithe on everything. If someone gives me something, I tithe on that. We tithe on our income. We tithe because we believe so strongly that this is a principle that God gave us for our sake, not for his sake, because he is not short on money or resources. He gave it for our sake so that we can finance the work of the kingdom of God and see his kingdom advance without having the restriction on such a silly thing called money. My grandfather, uh, who was a pastor, believed so strongly in tithing that he for a long time double tithed and gave 20% just in case he ever got to a point where, you know, he was sick or weak or he, he did have a stroke at one point and was afraid that what if I don't get to get my... And I'm like, whoa, Grandpa, it's, it's all right. You're good. You're good to go. He goes, no, I, I just love giving. Now, my, my grandfather was not a rich man, but he had a heart of generosity and understood this principle of tithing, which he taught to my father, who taught it to me. And can I say that giving is a generational blessing. Can I say that again? Giving is a generational blessing. It's not a generational, oh no, we just get rid of all our money. It's a matter of getting the principle of the heart. So when Cameron and I got together, this was a non-negotiable. And can I say from day one, we have seen the miraculous provision of God and the blessing of God over our lives in so many ways. So I wanted to share three simple thoughts with you today. Number, first thought is, number one is, tithing is a timeless biblical principle. Um, some people think that tithing is just an Old Testament principle or that it has in some ways been done away with. But can I say that this is something that runs through the whole Bible? It starts, some people say, well, it's an Old Testament law. But I just want to let you know that tithing actually was instituted way before the law, about 480 years before the law of Moses ever came into effect. Tithing was introduced in the biblical concept. It runs then throughout the Bible right into the New Testament. Jesus himself talks about how tithing is something we ought to do. Paul writes letters to multiple of the churches and talks about on the first day of the week, make sure you set apart that portion. Um, and uh, some people have an issue with what they've, feel is an Old Testament principle and say, I don't believe in the Old Testament principle of tithing that it applies to us anymore. So if that is you, if you know someone like that, I would like to invite you into the New Testament principle of giving, because if you were to read Acts chapter 2, you will very quickly find out that what the early church did, what the disciples did, is they actually sold everything that they had, they pooled all their resources together, and then they distributed to everyone as they had need. If you don't believe me, just read Acts chapter 2. And so if you have a problem with Old Testament giving, I am all for you, step Stepping into New Testament giving. I'm good with that, and I'm pretty sure that God is very good with that. And so uh, the point I'm trying to make is just it's an eternal principle that runs through the Bible. As early as the second chapter of the Bible, we begin to see that God is testing us with stuff. So Genesis 2 says, um, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man and saying, You're free to eat from any tree in the garden. But you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. He's saying that you can have all of this. I have made provision for you. You can have anything and everything that you see here. It's all for your pleasure. It's all for you to enjoy except one tree. Can you imagine how many trees were in that garden? It's probably hundreds. And he says, just that one tree. Why do you think God did that? And that was not a rhetorical question. Can someone shout out, why do you think God did that? Awesome. To test our obedience. If you had nothing to obey, how could you learn the principle of obedience? 
So I truly believe that God put that in from the very beginning and said, I've given you everything you need. I'm even walking with you. you have, we have no restrictions. You have complete, total fellowship with me. You have everything you need to live, to eat, to work, to, to exist. Just don't touch that one tree. It didn't say don't touch. It said don't eat of the one tree. And I think God did that because he wanted to make sure that we learned the principle of obedience, that there are certain things that are his and his alone. So if I can say it like this, although the tithe is part of the Old Testament law, it transcends the law. It's an internal principle that goes through the law into the new covenant. For example, the principle of worship was established under the Old Testament. You see so many passages on how to worship, where to worship, what to wear when you worship, what to play when you worship, who is to worship, who can approach, who cannot approach, and all this stuff. If you've ever read it, you know what I'm talking about. But when we came to the New Testament, it actually passes through the cross, and Jesus didn't do away with the law of worship. He actually made it more intimate. He made it something that was closer. He made it something more alive, and he made it more about the heart closer coming closer towards him than he did about following the rule of the external laws so can i say this i think that the principle of tithing in itself when jesus himself came and gave his life he showed us the way of saying i am generous towards you in giving myself in the old testament principle of tithing and giving now passes through the cross and becomes an issue of the heart not external obedience to a rule See, I believe that just because something is mentioned in the law doesn't give us the right to discard it under grace. If anything, we realize that Jesus came not to do away with the law and the Old Testament teachings, but really to raise the bar and to get to the motivation why we do what we do. Look at this, Matthew 5 says in verse 17, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I do not come to destroy it, but to fulfill it. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means from, um, sorry, will, I, will by no means pass from the law until it's all fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men to do so shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Do you see how Jesus raises the bar? He says, don't just be as good as the Pharisees, be better. Because they were all about the external rule. And he said, be better. Get your heart right. Turn your heart towards me. The righteousness of grace always exceeds the righteousness of law because grace deals with the heart. For example, in this little diagram, Jesus said in the Old Testament, you shall not murder. And then grace would say, do not hate your brother. Because it's the heart issue that led to the first commandment being needed in the first place. The Old Testament says, do not commit adultery. And grace says, don't look lustfully at a man or a woman. Because he deals with the heart. So in the same way, Matthew 23, 23, Jesus says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. What Jesus is saying here is not forget the tithe and just concentrate on justice, mercy, and faithfulness. What he's saying is see that the whole law is there for your good. Justice, mercy, faithfulness has to do with what? Your heart. He says extend your heart and mercy toward people, but don't forget to also tithe. You should do one without neglecting the other. He's saying... He wants your heart. 
See, he's saying that we should practice generosity both with our money and with our actions. He's actually so involved in this principle of tithing that he's actually the recipient of the tithe. Matthew, sorry, Genesis 14, verse 18 to 20 says this. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought up bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram, the God of Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God the Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he, speaking of Abram, gave him, speaking of Melchizedek, gave him a tithe of all. This is 480 years before the law. Abraham goes out into the wilderness. He runs into Melchizedek, who was a high priest, and it describes him saying he was the king of righteousness and the king of peace. And in Hebrews 4, sorry, 5, 6, and 7, the Bible actually tells us in the New Testament that Melchizedek was actually a type and a shadow of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. It's right in those chapters, you can read it. It describes quite beautifully how Jesus is our king of righteousness and king of peace and how Melchizedek was then that representation of Jesus in the Old Testament. But think about this. Back in Genesis, Abraham, who's the father of our faith, representing us, gives a tithe, a tenth, to Melchizedek, representing Jesus. And if you're not sure that, that um, this is really a true principle, let's just read Hebrews chapter 7, verse 8. It actually recounts in Hebrews 7 this entire story that I just read to you about Abraham and Melchizedek. Hebrews 7 recounts the same story, talks about how he came out and how he met Melchizedek and gave him a, a tithe of all. And then Hebrews chapter 7 says, oh, and by the way, Melchizedek is the king of righteousness and king of, pre, king of peace, just like we have a high priest, Jesus, who is that to us. And then verse 8 says, Here, mortal men receive the tithes, but there he receives them, of whom it is witnessed that he lives. So what this is saying is that we, when we give, when we tithe, when we tithe of our income, we are actually not giving to an institution. We're not giving to an organization. We're not just giving to an earthly person or place. But it is literally saying that when we give, he receives them. So you may write your check to Impact Church or to whatever you give to, but what the Bible is saying that when you tithe, you actually give directly to Jesus Christ. That's a pretty awesome privilege. And it also takes away from the fear that many of us have had about giving to a certain place. Now, if I can say this, you should be wise in where you invest your money and make sure that where you plant your money is in good soil. But the Bible does talk about how we are to bring the tithe into the storehouse, representing and meaning the local church. And then we realize that it's not just giving into an institution, but it, as we give and invest into the kingdom, Jesus Christ actually receives that on his end. And I know some people have had fears and apprehensions because of people misusing money out there. That's why we do have to be wise where we invest them. But when we find a good place to invest in that is advancing the kingdom, that is living according to biblical principles, that are accountable with our finances and doing things that are reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, then we can rest assured that as we give toward that, then Jesus sits up there and he receives it. And he will release on us that blessing. Can I say this? It's an amazing privilege. I love to tithe. I know this is an uncomfortable subject, but can I say this? I love to tithe. 
I, I love it. To me, I get all excited because it is a way for me. I love to worship. I love to play. I love to sing. But part of giving to me is, God, now I get to worship you with my tithe. I get to worship you with a portion of my increase. I get to worship you and give back to you and say, God, I love you. I trust you. I want to invest into the eternal things of God, not just invest into myself, but invest into your kingdom. And I can say this, tithing never gets easier just because you get more. Because that's another argument I always hear, when I have enough, then I'll tithe. Can I say it like this? It's going to sound probably very simple. You can't afford to tithe until you tithe. We have seen the miraculous provision of God and blessing poured over our lives over and over and over and over again. And I can honestly say, I don't dare not to tithe. Because I believe so strongly, and that's why we bring this to you, not to say we want your money, but we're bringing this to you to say God wants your heart. God wants you to be free. God wants you to be able to trust him and give that portion to him. Thought number two, tithing is a test. Have you ever come into school when you were in school back in the day, or those of you who are still there, university students, um, have you ever walked into the classroom and the teacher goes, okay, so today we're, we're going to take this test, and you go, uh, what test? <laughs> Ever had that experience where you're like, oopsie, I kind of forgot about that. Well, sometimes as Christians, we come in and we go, uh, what test? <laughs> I forgot to study for that. But can I give you some good news? The tithing is actually a test. God says it's a test for us as believers, not for him to find out what's in our heart, but for us to find out what's in our heart. And when he says, I'm going to give you this test, I'm going to give you my study notes, I'm going to give you the answer, and you can all pass the test. Because he wants us to always come out passing the test for our sake. So tithe literally means a tenth. It's 10% of, of our increase, as the Bible says, or, or what we earn. But all throughout the Bible, number 10 actually represents testing. And I just want to show you, for example, how many plagues were there in Egypt? That's not rhetorical. You can answer. How many plagues were there in Egypt? Awesome. How many commandments were there? How many times did God test Israel in the wilderness? You're catching on. That's awesome. How many times did God test Jacob's wages by changing, test Jacob's faithfulness, sorry, by changing his wages? You're catching on. In Daniel, how many days was Daniel tested? In Matthew 25, how many virgins were tested to see if they were ready for the bridegroom? How many disciples did Jesus have? <laughs> I was just testing you. Just want to make sure you were paying attention. Awesome. He did have 12 disciples. But throughout the Bible, you see the number 10 as a, a means of testing. But in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, just thought of that now. No pun intended from God. Um, but in Malachi 3, 10, this is the only place that God actually invites us to test him. In every other place, it's him testing us. But in this place, he actually says, you can come and test me. And it says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. Another version says, try me or prove me now in this. And see, it says the Lord God Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room to con contain it. 
uh, when we first got married, I know we've shared this story, some of you may have heard it, but when we first got married, we were barely married, and people started flooding us with kid stuff, with car seats, with strollers, with cribs, with furniture, with all this stuff, with maternity clothes, and we were like, ah, oh, we, we just got married, what's your hurry, <laughs> right? But God kept blessing us through these people over and over and over again, and it got to a place where we just said, stop, we can't take anymore. We, we lived in a small apartment, we had stuff put into our closets, we had stuff under our beds, we had stuff in our storage room. We got to a point where we called Cameron's grandma and said, hey grandma, <laughs> you have a big basement, you have nothing down there, do you? Um, can we put some of our stuff there? And so finally we said, we can't take anymore. And then one day in worship, God spoke to us, clearest day, and said, did I not say that if you bring the tithe into the storehouse, I will pour out so much blessing on you, I will open the windows of heaven, pour it out so much that you cannot contain it. And he says, gotcha. There is the uncontainable blessing of God. So we're like, thank you, Jesus. And the good part is because of his blessing on our lives in that area and many other areas, we've been able to, especially the kids stuff, give away more than we actually kept because we were so blessed that we could then bless somebody else. Thought number three, tithing is a blessing. It is not a curse. It is not a chore. It is a blessing that God gives to us as believers because he loves us. First reason is this, because I get to be like Christ. I get to be just like Jesus. He proves his own generous nature by offering up his entire life for us when he left heaven to purchase our forgiveness. We get to be like Christ. The highest aim of our generosity, can I say this, is not to give more than your neighbor. The goal of generosity at Impact Church is not to see how can, who can write the highest check. The goal of generosity at Impact Church and the highest aim that we live by is to be like Jesus Christ. That's the heart of generosity. Jesus actually is not very concerned about the amounts. He puts an amount there so that we have something that we can be obedient to so that we can know when we're doing the right thing. But he actually stood in the temple and watched people. That's pretty bold. He watched people as they were coming in and he goes, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yep, not impressed. People gave of their riches. People gave of their overflow. And he goes, yeah, well, that's nice. And then this woman comes and she gives two mites and he goes, stop, everybody. Everyone, whoa, look at this woman. Can you imagine a service like that where the offering bucket is passing along? You're like, oh, Christy, everyone stop. Look at Christy. Like we would be like, uh, uh, excuse me. Uh, <clears throat> because Jesus said, I want you to notice something. All these other people, they're just giving out of their overflow, but she gave everything. I have her heart. You need to know that I want your heart. That's what Jesus is saying. So this is a blessing for us to live like Jesus and love like Jesus. So I get to be like Jesus. And secondly, God promises that he will bless us. There's this awesome story in the Old Testament about King Hezekiah in 2 Chronicles chapter 31. I'm just going to back up a couple chapters to give you the background. So the nation of Israel uh, had completely walked away from God. They had walked away from all his commandments. They were at this point uh, completely spiritually and physically uh, in, down in the dumps. They, nothing was going right for the nation of Israel. Hezekiah comes along. He becomes king. And the first thing he does is he goes into the temple that was in ruins and he starts cleaning it up. While cleaning it up, he finds the book of the law. He finds the Bible, basically, the Torah. And so he starts reading and he goes, oh dear, like we have not been following this at all. 
So the first thing he does is he calls the people to worship, and he says, we're supposed to be worshiping in the temple. We're supposed to worship Levites and priests that were off doing their own thing. He says, you need to return to the temple. You need to consecrate yourself. You need to come back. And we need to worship God in the splendor of his holiness. And he called the nation of Israel to worship, and it said they had such an awesome worship service. It said that the joy coming from that place had not been heard since the day of Solomon. But then the story goes on, and the next thing he reads is he, he's like, oh, we're supposed to be tithing. So we're jumping in to Second Chronicles chapter 31, and it says, Moreover, he, Hezekiah, commanded the people who dwelt in Jerusalem to contribute support for the priests and Levites that they might devote themselves to the law of the Lord. By the way, Paul sticks this same idea into the New Testament where he says, Would you make sure that you support those who labor among you so that they can focus on the, on the word and of prayer? It's the same principle that Paul carries through in the New Testament. Ch- uh, verse 5, it says, As soon as the commandment was circulated, the children of Israel brought in abundance the first fruits of grain and wine, oil and honey, and of all the produce of the field. And they brought in abundantly the tithe of everything. And the children of Israel and Judah who dwelt in the city of Judah brought the tithe of oxen and sheep and the holy things that were consecrated to the Lord their God, and they laid them in heaps. Um, I just want to interject, for those of you who have ever traveled, this is like a Tanzanian offering. Here's how it goes when you're, when you're in Tanzania and, and it's time for the offering. You go, you love me. You always have because they bring their tithe. Do you love me, oh Jesus? I'm just letting you know what it's like in other countries because they understand that even though they have no cash flow, God said to consecrate the first fruit. He said to bring the tithe. So if it's one of their 10 chickens, they bring one of their 10 chickens. I just want to say worship times and offering times are very fun in third world countries. Just saying. Um, You're like, don't let go of that chicken. Um, (laughs) And it turns from fun to even more fun. Uh, But anyhow, this is literally what they did. They're bringing oxen and sheep, and they're bringing them because they recognize that they have not lived according to this principle. But it says here they start bringing them, and there's so much, they're actually laying them in heaps. And then uh, verse 7 says, In the third month they began laying them in heaps, and they finished in the seventh month. This is a four-month offering uh, service. Four months long. They just keep bringing and bringing and bringing and bringing and bringing stuff for four months straight. And when Hezekiah and the leaders came and saw the heaps, they blessed the Lord and his people Israel. Then Hezekiah questioned the priests and the Levites concerning the heaps. And Azariah, the chief priest from the house of Zadok, answered him and said, Since the people began bringing the offerings into the house of the Lord, we have had enough to eat and plenty left over, for the Lord has blessed his people, and what is left is this great abundance. What the priests were saying, literally when we're jumping into this story, it they had come from a time of being extreme in extreme depravity and unrighteousness. When they start making things right and circulating these commands of worship and tithing and giving, then what's happening is Hezekiah literally comes back because when the people were starting to give of their 10%, and think about the fact that they're in depravity, so at this point that was probably not their abundance when they first started. But it said that as soon as they started bringing it, they brought more and more and more and more because God released his blessing. And they said, now we have enough food to eat. We have plenty left over. And these heaps that you're seeing, that's the abundance of how the Lord has blessed his people. And so Hezekiah, it says he questioned the Levites and the priests. And he's like, are the people okay? Like, what's with the heaps? And they say, 
This is just the abundance. We don't even know what to do with it. We're eating. We have plenty left over. There's enough in the house of the Lord. There's enough in the temple. And we don't know what to do with all these tithes, so we just put them in heaps. Can you imagine the day we come to the house of God and we're like, uh, yeah, our offering buckets are too small. I don't know what to do. We're just, yeah, so we just made a pile and another pile and another pile. That's, in essence, what they're saying. Because when they started to give out of their hard place, the 10%, all of a sudden, God unlocked the blessing over their lives. And for four months straight, they just bring more and more and more and more. And it said that they had in such abundance that it literally was laying outside in heaps. Can I say God loves to bless his people, but sometimes in his goodness, he withholds blessing from our life because he knows we can't handle it. And can I say this way? God looks at our hearts, and he knows that when we hold on to things, it clutters our hearts and our minds. How many have uh, held on to a little too much stuff? You know when your house gets cluttered? Well, sometimes our minds get cluttered when we hold on to everything. God says, I don't want to give you more until you learn to give away. I don't want to give you more until your heart is free and trusting me. But when we do, God will reward us. Can I say again, God blesses obedience. He has actually promised in his word. So if you have a problem with this message, take it up with him, okay? Because he said, test me, try me, prove me in this. If I will not be faithful to pour out blessing on your life. I have, I was just talking to someone this morning who came and she's like, I've only tithed twice. And God just unlocked this incredible blessing over my life and I don't know how it happened. And I'm like, I, I know, I don't, I don't know, we can't explain it, but I'm telling you right now, put God to the test. He invites you to put him to the test. And when you do, you just need to know that you have a God that is an abundant God, and he loves to bless his kids. But can I say this? I am not talking about if you give this amount, he's going to give you that amount. If you give this much, then he's going to give you that much. That is not what I'm talking about. God is saying, I will take care of you. I will provide for you. Sometimes it's financial. Sometimes it's with things that we need. Sometimes it's with the support that we need. And can I say, ultimately, the greatest blessing we can ever experience in life is to see the kingdom of God advance, those that we love coming to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And the greatest blessing of all is that God rewards us with himself. In the Old Testament, the, the Levites and the priests actually had no inheritance. They had no land because God said, I am your reward. I am your inheritance. So ultimately, the best gift we can ever be given from God is himself. God loves to give of himself. If I can say it this way, God is our reward. Blessing is just the bonus. Seek God, not the blessing. Seek the blesser, not the blessing. And lastly, I get to be part of God's plan. Tithing is very personal to Jesus. That's why he set it up this was this way. Uh, it's as if Cameron was going away for a couple months, and he said, hey, Ryan and, and Alan and Chris, could you just uh, check in on Sandra for the next couple of months and just make sure she's okay? Uh, I'm going to send you a check every month. If you could just give a portion of that to Sandra, make sure she's doing all right. And, and say, Chris was like, oh, yeah, Pastor, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take care of her. I'm going I'm to come in. I'm going to give. And then Alan's like, oh, yeah, I, oh, yeah, I'm going to go and give that portion to Sandra. I'm going to make sure. I, I'll even cut her lawn every now and then. Hint, hint. Um, <laughs> just saying, just threw that out there, you know. Um, but Ryan, he's like, I don't know. I don't know. I like that $100 bill. I'm just going to keep it. 
guess who Cameron will entrust the next time he goes away? Yet that's what Jesus did. He says, I'm going away. I want you to take care of my bride. You get to keep the rest of the check. Just give me 10% and trust me with it. Because can I say it this way, and I'm speaking from personal experience and from the stories of so, so many of you, 90% blessed by God goes so much further than 100% without the blessing of God on it. Can I challenge you this morning? Maybe you're like, I really didn't like this message. Go home, study the word for yourself. Look at what God says and put him to the test. Um, Because what he is after is he's after our heart. Can you imagine what could be done if every believer tithed? Every child would be fed. We would never have to turn anybody away. We could train and equip people to be those agents of God that go out and live like Jesus and love like Jesus. I get to be part of God's plan. And the greatest blessing we can ever experience is to see God's kingdom enlarged, to see ministers advance, churches grow, and broken people become whole. All because of obedience in this one area. So Ray has a... It's a little prop for me this morning. Thank you. Matthew chapter 6, verse 21 says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So what God is saying to us is he's saying that where your heart is, there is your treasure. Where your treasure is, there's your heart. Pretty simple, right? But what he's saying by that is he's saying that everywhere that my heart goes, my treasure goes. And everywhere that my treasure goes, my heart follows. It's just he knows us, and he knows that's how we work. That's why he wanted to just kind of put that in there to let us know why our heart follows money so much. But where is this balloon trying to go? What? Up. Where? To heaven, or to the ceiling, if you will. But it is going toward heaven, right? Can I say that God put inside of each believer a desire that will not be satisfied until our heart goes towards him, toward heaven. So inside of us, there is something that is always striving to go up, 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 closer and closer and closer to him. It says in Ecclesiastes that he has placed eternity in our heart. But guess what sometimes holds us back? Because where our treasure is, there our heart is also. What's holding this balloon back? What was that? Is it the money? It's me holding on to it. Can I say this this morning? God is after our heart because he knows that where our heart is, it's where our treasure is. Where your treasure is, your heart is also. So he's saying, if you want to be free, if you want to have complete and total trust and faith in me, then you got to let go of the grip that is so hard for us to let go of as humans. But he's saying, if you just trust me and let go of the grip of holding on to things, then where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our messages from Impact Church. We hope and trust that this message encouraged you. If you want to find out more information about our church, check us out online at www.impactkingston.com.